there's a bad wild boy in the building. Hey. It's episode 31 of Corporate Lunch. Will Welch, Noah Johnson. What up? We have A-Side here today. A-Side, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm here for corporate lunch. More like corporate diet. There's no food on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, can we get some buttered pastries? There's a couple <laughs> water quick. bottles. You, yeah. What do you like? What are you eating these days? Uh, well, I don't know. It depends. I, I try and keep it vegan, but it's quite hard when you travel a lot. So um, seafood, vegan, anything relatively sort of, you know, digestible. Well, well, Sam, can we get a quinoa salad and some some grilled shrimp? Some <laughs> shirts vegan. Ace, I said anything relatively digestible. <laughs> Amazing. The truth. <laughs> so here's the thing, A-Side. If, yes. If, in my experience, if I line up 13 people yeah. that know you, yeah. that, like, really know you, yeah. and I said, all right, each of you individually tell me who A-Side is and what he does, yeah. I would get, like, 29 different answers. <laughs> potentially, right? That's, that's, I, a, that's Not a good potentially, thing. definitely. <laughs> so... You know, at the beginning of a podcast, you're supposed to introduce your guests. Uh, I introduce the unintroducible A-side. Now, a few things that we have done together. Yeah. You've DJed some GQ style and GQ parties. Super fun. Uh, we have attended countless numbers of parties that you've been throwing and DJing in Los Angeles. Yes. In Paris, France. Yes. Milan, Italy. Yes. Really around the globe. Yeah. Uh, cigar smoker. Yes. Trying to um, cut down. Trying to cut back. We're going to get into a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, and then also you just have a um, some sort of, I guess the word, the catch-all word, forgive me in advance, is marketing. Yeah. You, A-Side knows how to just move culture. Yeah. I try. I mean, yeah, I, I was actually talking to someone about that last night in a club. Really loud music, as you. <laughs> this is where the best A side. This is where A side actually really drops the yeah. shiniest, sparkliest gems. You know what's really interesting is I'm really bad at meetings. I'm really bad at sitting in a room with people and just like conducting a normal meeting, you know, with like a strict time limit and just talking and getting to the point. Whereas. At like 2 a.m. or 2.30 or 3 a.m. or whatever yeah. it is. So I get a brainwave. I see something or I yeah. hear something. And I speak and I turn around and I'll say something to Tremaine and it'll be like the most intelligent I think I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth about those other meetings is nothing good happens in meetings like that. Yeah. Almost ever. Yeah. What do they call those things? Clear blue sky. Blue sky thinking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, A-side really does shine deep in the hang. Yeah. Um. And then there's also No Vacancy in, which is itself hard to pin down. It is a, a collective, a creative collective that you and Tremaine Brock. Yes. And, and Brock. Yes. Uh, founded. Yes. And you guys also, you could make teas and DJ and take on projects. and Yeah, and we have, we have like a, a podcast that turned into a YouTube series for a while, and we're going to revive it. And, you know, you know what, just to put it simply, I think outside of kind of the actual jobs I have as like hired, as in like I have a salary with companies, um, all the stuff I do just comes from like a childhood urge that I always had. Because when I was growing up in London, you know, the main thing for me. What part of London? I grew up in East London. So yeah. what's, you know, East London is now kind of the trendy part, trendiest part of London or one of the trendiest. And then I moved to Shoreditch when I was like post-teenage and got my own place and stayed there till I recently moved to Los Angeles. Um but one of the things for me, you know, growing up like the late 90s and 2000s in London and what kind of led me to this point 
was like culture which wasn't clearly defined in any sense but existed within nightclubs and record shops yeah. and clothing stores yeah. and magazines and they were all obsessions of mine you yeah. know like i went to a record store every week sometimes every day um i read magazines every week you know the enemy the face magazine id magazine you know i was in a club as much as possible you know and you know i couldn't afford the clothes but i definitely hung out in the stores yeah. you know places like uh slam city skates where yeah. they had rough trade record shop and they had you know they had uh the slam city skates uh skate store and you know the beastie boys performed in the basement but they also sold you know grand royal magazine and they sold right. indie punk records and they sold rap records and all those things were very pivotal for me so the thing is growing up and then becoming an adult and speaking to people who are younger than me and when they ask me about stuff they're almost slightly clueless and i'm like why do they seem not to know all the stuff that we knew and i'm like oh yeah. right all those places don't exist anymore yeah, right. right they're and virtual yeah they're virtual and, but different. there's there's no one editing it yeah because all a record shop was was the record shop owner's edit of what record should be totally. in there. Yeah. spotify but yeah. edited yeah. right magazine yeah. and so on and so forth clothing yeah. store editing, whereas editing, now editing. it's just a vastness right yeah. so I guess with no vacancy and what we've tried to do, you know, sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully is to edit our tastes and, you know, our sense of curation into a space. And sometimes that ends up being a T-shirt with a James Baldwin quote right? or, you know, come university, which we did um, at the end of uh, 2016. I think it was in Miami where we had, you know, like the no wave radio guys and we had us and we had performances and we had, you know, just talks, um, or it can just be a really cool party with just the right music and the right crowd in the room, you know? So, and I think that's all Tremaine and I ever really try to do with No Vacancy in is to, to kind of that sense and that feeling and that level of information um, and community that we had growing up that existed in those spaces. We're trying to put that back into all the things that make sense now. Right. So if you, like, in a, in a way, coming to a No Vacancy party or event, whatever it may be, is a little bit like hanging out at the record store where there, there was a specific point of view and, and just really a wide open space for conversation to happen, but good conversation, focused. Yeah, picking up stuff and then taking that information and running with it yourself. Like, you know, uh, it's, you know, we have so many talks behind the scenes as I'm sure you guys do about, you know, what information really means in this age and, you know, and as I was digested and how you differentiate between fact and fiction you know, alternative fact, right. you know, fake news, <laughs> yeah. the truth itself. Yeah. And I think it really has to come come down to a very simple thing, you know, like obviously there's what you know and how you interpret information that you're given, but the person giving it to you really becomes yeah. the version of the truth. Right. So if you trust the person who's giving it to you, then in a way that information is all you need. Whereas, you know, I think now there's so many different places to gain information yeah. from. Yeah. How do you know what's true? And when you get it firsthand, I feel like you learn what to do with it. Like, similarly, I grew up hanging around skate shops. Yeah. And you learn point of view because there's older guys or cooler guys around you who are constantly expressing bluntly their point of view. And you pick it up and you might take it and run with it, make it your own, or you just figure out how to develop your own through that, via yep. that. That just becomes like a vehicle for you figuring it out. But so many, like, just content feeds they lack point of view because it's just a flood you know so yeah. if if you know it sounds like what you're saying is no vacancy is is one way one way to express a point of view that people can take or leave be inspired by get on board with or whatever it is but it's recreating that experience a little bit that we sort of yeah and it's just lack. what we're into we're not beholden to any sort of companies apart from ourselves so and i think more than ever i think you know something that needs to exist more and more is just feeling that like when 
people give you information or when they throw a party or when they have an event, like they're not beholden to the people that are paying for right. it behind the scenes. Yeah, right. It's really their taste. Truly yeah, independent. Yeah. Because then at the end of the day, you go, okay, I like it or I don't like it. Right. And then you take, you know, what you want from it and you move on. Whereas I think now it's all become a mishmash of like, you know, independence versus corporate. And, you know, that stuff doesn't matter to me as much. The intent is really what matters. Yeah. Is it a good idea? And, you know, is this benefiting anyone apart from ourselves? You right. know, are we just jerking off or is this actually yeah, like yeah, useful? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. You know, so that, yeah. that that's kind of what no vacancy and hopefully, you know, that makes sense too. How did how did you uh how did you start DJing to begin with? And how have you kind of evolved? What's your evolution as a DJ looked like? Uh just because yeah. I wanna say, dude, you know how to set the mood. <laughs> You're nice with it, Ron nice Burgundy it. style. Ron Burgundy, nah, I, you know, I've seen, <laughs> seen you take. I've seen you take so many different rooms, so many different directions. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. It's never the obvious one. And as like an actual music fan myself, and somebody who doesn't go out that much anymore, and when I do, I will want to go. I want to be taken someplace surprising, like. I know you're going to do that if you're there. Humble Flex, how, how cool was that party in LA in the um, what in the John Lottner house? Yeah. Humble Flex, right? That was <laughs> Should we just go full flex? Yeah, go full flex. Yeah. So we, did a, flex. we did a GQ style amazing spaces party at a Lautner house with 270 degree views of Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, no vacancy in. Uh, DJing. Tunde Adabimpe from TV on the radio did a set. And people were just kind of like A, dressed, which is always nice. Yes. And B, just like in awe of the space. Yeah. And the rest was just bonus. Yeah. So a good conversation or some like nice looking girls or hearing a good song or Tunde's performance. All of that was just like easy, easy sprinkling on top of like, I guess, just a, a vibe and people feeling like, wow, I can't believe I actually get to be in. It's one thing to look at a picture of a perfectly appointed lot in our house. It's yeah. another thing to just like have a night. Yeah, it was it was a it was a magical evening. I mean, I've had a lot of those, you know, across the years, but that was definitely something that reminded me of, you know, like especially when you're growing up or the way I grew up, you know, everything was about, you know, imagination and sort of then fascination and then obsession and then eventually like realization if you were lucky. Mm. So, you know, things like architecture were so distant for me growing totally. up in like estates yeah. in East London. It's like, yeah. I didn't view that as architecture. I was just like, it's an ugly building. We live in it. We didn't choose it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. We didn't design this. No, no, like, who designed this? I want to meet this person. Um, so, you know, those things. And then, you know, things like glamour and, you know, like seeing, you know, eventually seeing like pictures of you in the Studio 54 and someone's in a bow tie and a person's in a really beautiful dress yeah. and someone's in a pair of jeans, but they all look really happy and really glamorous. That also seemed like a distant thing, yeah. you know, and then and so on and so forth. And then, you know, one day you're an adult and you're actually in that picture yeah. and you're like, oh, wow, it exists. It happened. Like, yeah, all of this, you know, <laughs> the imagination and fascination for me, they come together. And I think that's, that's something actually just not, you know, trying to stray too far off off topic but i think that's something that's actually missing right now is the idea of actual beauty and those you know those things that we strive for because i think sometimes when we look at things on social media we're actually not looking at beauty we're not fascinated by it we're just simply looking at uh, an idea that's so abstract and something that we deem success right. but we're not actually good because that that house right when i'm in it you, you realize the potential of really good design yeah and how good it yeah. can make you feel right yeah. Like the house by itself was doing the best job. It did all the work. Yeah, it did all the work. It was the best personality. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah, the best guest. All we could do was write to the occasion yeah. of being inside an yeah. amazing piece of design. Yeah. 
not fuck it up. Yeah. Don't, fuck <laughs> <it>. <laughs> don't reduce the greatness of this space with the wrong song yeah, or yeah, an yeah. asshole comment yeah. or some bad shoes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the high point of the evening for me, I don't know if I told you this, so the owner of the house, um, who shall remain unnamed because it's not really our business to divulge that, or it's not mine. Um, I was playing a record, and it was by Andy Gibb. Now, Andy Gibb, for those who don't know, is the other brother in the Bee Gees who wasn't in the Bee Gees. Um, he had a solo career and he died like I think in the late 70s early 80s but he had this really beautiful record out called Shadow Dancing it's kind of like a mid-tempo disco thing and as I said people know the Bee Gees are not a lot of people know who Andy Gibb is um, and I'm playing this record and it's kind of early in the evening the owner of the house walks over to me and he's like this is such a cool record and I'm like yeah glad you dig it and he's like yeah I really like this record I was like that's cool because not a lot of people usually saw a comment on it and he's like oh I was in the room when it was recorded (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like okay keep going (laughs) keep talking I was like okay I've met the boss like okay cool I like how he set that one up yeah yeah yeah. came up real casual because it's casual to him yeah super casual just a night yeah Anyway, so yeah, that was a really that was a that was a high point for me. I'm just adjusting the uh, headphone level. So, what are we talking about today, guys? On this uh, corporate diet lunch that we're having? <laughs> I mean, mostly we're, diet. We're already in. <laughs> we're already deep in it. Yeah. We're already deep in it. One thing that um, I want to like dig in a little bit from what you said is, um, you know, you're sort of talking from a place of like this isn't happening like it once was, or it's not happening enough. But in a way. Um, a lot of stuff that you're involved in and the things that your friends do, you know, with you and aside from you, uh, we, we have come out of this really like corporate financed party era, which you and I both partied our way through. Yes. Um, and we've come to this other space where like the corporations are in a different place. They, they, they recognize that they need people like you and people like us, um, to kind of like make stuff, happen and the term authenticity is thrown around all the time yeah and um given what you guys are doing what we're doing what a bunch of other people are doing like do you think we could have actually looked back at this time one day and be like that was a good moment there was there was like there were real conversations happening we were like hanging in paris we were like in this beautiful space in la we were um you know there are there are cool stores again where people congregate um could this, in, in retrospect, feel like a little bit more of a golden era? I, you know what? I, I, I try not to get too nostalgic about, you know, because the time I grew up in, you know, there's always that sort of basic theory that, you know, between, I guess, like 14 or 13 and like 21, it was anyone's golden era. Because yeah. that's when you're really yeah. discovering music. Yeah. You're the discovering hormones people. are firing. There you go. <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, discover sex. Like, you know, yeah. discover all the things that you know, amount to taste yeah. in your yeah. world, yeah. right? You start to define yourself. Yeah, exactly, as a human being. And, you know, all the things that you figure out, sort of what takes you further. Um, and some of us are lucky enough to build careers off that moment in time, Yeah, which is what, you know, I've managed to do and, you know, all you guys have managed to do. Um, some people have to give up on that and just become someone else or yeah. just take on a job, you know, which yeah. is a shame. But so I, I, I try not to think about, you know, whether this time is more meaningful than that time because... For instance, you know, there's a bunch of young art kids I hang out with in New York, and they're all kind of like New York, London transplants. They're all art kids. They all go to really good art schools. Yeah. Um, they all come from really, really great families, and they're trying. And I was hanging out with one of them, like a few of them, like last summer in New York, and they said something really, and it just struck me. And they went, 
Man, New York sucks now, man. It was great two summers ago. Yeah, the turnaround on that was twenty five years ago. I was I was like I was like I was like, uh yeah, it was sucked ten years ago for me, but catch up guys. So that's what I mean, you know, yeah. and these guys are like twenty one. Yeah. So yeah. like what nineteen was like, you know, they they literally just moved to New York three summers ago. Yeah. Or two summers yeah. ago. So those summers were golden for those guys, right? Twenty sixteen was popping, twenty eighteen. Right, 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 right. So I'm like, someone somewhere between the age of 12, 13, up to 21, or maybe even going on for longer, is having a moment of their life yeah. right now. Yeah. Right? You know, I don't want to think about the people who are bored, because if you're bored, you're going to be bored. <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. can't help that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. that's personal. But <laughs> I think, like, you know, if you're, you know, whatever you're discovering right now in that space, it's probably really important to you and especially when you share it with people who are like-minded and you're being challenged and you're growing through it i think it just means the world to you yeah. so i think right now i know that I'm, I'm sure without you know blowing our own trumpets there are younger kids who are coming to our parties or are being part of our events and the and it's the feedback that we get yeah. that's, I, t I take it for granted as well you know i'm yeah. jaded i'm as jaded as everyone else so i'm like we do stuff in like i'm doing it out of self-interest mainly yeah. right to be honest but we do it and then we move on to the next thing and then it's not until like i go to like miami or paris or i go to like and it's not even kids from those cities it's kids from outside of those cities we've had a, we've had kids come up to us in miami during up basil who were from florida and they said they drove to meet us yeah just because they were like we're so inspired by your podcast or we're so inspired by this event that you're doing that we saw online or this thing that you're talking about or this book or this space that you're creating and i'm like shit yeah we just had to get here <laughs> yeah. yeah like you know and then you know and like you know without sort of giving ourselves you know the sort of same pedestal i, I do remember reading things like raf simmons talking about like seeing id magazine in the face in yep. a small village they grew up outside of yeah. antwerp yep and that meant the world to him yeah. And, and he's I, still referencing the, the the parties and raves that he went to. Right, exactly. And I, and, you know, I know Terry and Trisha who started ID Magazine, and it's like they are just normal people, just like Tremaine and myself to a yeah. certain. They just add an idea and they put it out there into the world, and it's grown into this thing. You know, we're post ID Magazine now, but I know the impact, and you know, it's still there in the air. The impact that it's had on several lives and several people who inspire us. Yeah. So I guess you know the point is, you know, is this time amazing? Yes. The last time was amazing, yeah. and there will be more amazing times to come. I yeah. think the job, uh, you know, our job in this room, and you know, for all the people who are sort of similar to us, is just to keep creating amazing moments and not get jaded by like, you know, or feel that ah, it was better ten yeah, years. Nostalgia, yeah, nostalgia. Nostalgia <laughs> can be a really dangerous thing in that yeah. way. Nostalgia can be deadly, you know, if it's not used in the right way. It can be make things totally stagnant. Yeah, chewing gum tasted better in the 60s. I'm sure <laughs> it did. Absolutely. No, they used, Prove it. They used real sugar then. And now, you know, it's from sugar cane. It's, it's from sugar cane. Yeah, organic you, sugar cane from the DR. Yeah. Do you, uh, I imagine, like, you guys are pretty accessible. You're up there. Kids can walk up to you and find you. Do you Do you take time Kids to can walk up and find him and then until Tremaine gets on the mic and says, <laughs> get off the yo, stage. if you don't have my cell phone number, get off my fucking stage. Well, I guess that's part of my, que that's part of my question is it must be the, the thing about being somewhat accessible is is it can be overwhelming or it can be too much how do you how do you balance or like how do you find time to communicate how do you how do you navigate that okay the, okay cheat code fan level? tremaine is my shield that's, <laughs> that's true that's true tremaine is my shield yeah. like honestly 
he handles it so much more better and you know with so much more grace than i do <laughs> like i'm a very sort of insular person and i'm quite introspective so you know like you know will and i you know we'll talk like we remember the, the last time we went paris and it was you you myself and mark anthony and we were like the last guys at the dinner yeah justin's dinner and we just yeah. because in that room i didn't feel comfortable enough to like talk to like all the other 30 people me either whereas right by the end of it it was just the three of us and then we got into it and we just got into it yeah and so they it was, literally it was closed us, the restaurant yeah there was us and they were cleaning up and yeah. then they were giving us that look of like okay all the cleaning is it's done. time to go so so i know my position and i know my space and i know what makes me comfortable yeah you know so in in a way in a way the uh the turntables too are a, yeah, are shield. a, are a yeah. force field absolutely it's like uh don't fuck with a side right now he's busy <laughs> getting this party exactly right yeah and you know like i like i you know and i without being sort of pretentious about it like it's a job you know and it's a fun job it's the most fun job maybe in the world because i don't even have to make the music you know yeah. let alone perform it <laughs> selector <laughs> someone else has made selector. someone else has done all the groundwork <laughs> all i have to do is put it together it's like how how badly can i fuck this up or make this work so you know but you know there's a level of concentration which which is kind of simplistic on one end which is just like just keep this going you know and growing but there have been moments like we spoke about in that Lautner house and there have been other moments which you know i can't recall right now but i mean i played in brooklyn last night and there was a point it was a sort of semi-corporate thing at Greenpoint, and the dj before me venus x who's amazing one of my favorite djs in the world she was like really playing like a really hardcore dance and hip-hop set and it was going off yeah and I could tell that was where that room wanted to be. But for some reason, that's not where I wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I've got to mm. step up now. <laughs> Red pill, blue pill. Yeah, exactly. And Which take, one did you pop? Well, so this thing, I started, I started in the same lane and, we, you know, I kind of kept it going. And there's always that moment. And, you know, I don't know if, I can't really think of like a, um, anything relative to, to this in terms of what you guys do. So I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where like, You've, you're kind of faced with an ocean of people or like, you know, 100 people or 200 people and they're looking at you, right? Yeah. yeah. For, for you to make them feel good or to take them somewhere. And there's that moment when you do something and you've let them all down and you can <laughs> see it. Because <laughs> that, that's the thing about crowds, man. It's a real energy exchange. Yeah, right? yeah. no, no, no. But it's like you against their energy, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like one against an atom, atomic mass, yeah. right? And so, and what you're trying to really do is, you know, make all your atoms blend so yeah. the room becomes one thing, right? Um, what, so, do you remember what track you played that, that bricked? Oh, it happens all the time. So to be honest, last night was, a, you know, it's the nearest example I can give you of that moment. Yeah. And I looked and I went, this is not me and it's not you guys. There's something else. And then I went, oh, you know what it is. It's too bright in here. Get the drinks out. It wasn't you at all. Yeah, it was a Ron Burgundy moment. Like, girl, I'm gonna turn the lights down. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I did my Ron Burgundy. I basically just said, Jermaine, just tell him to turn the lights down, please. And Theophilus London was there, and he was on the mic, and they kept saying it, kept saying it. Eventually, they turned the lights down, and it took from the second they took the lights down, it took another like ten minutes and like a few different tracks, and all of a sudden the exact energy I was reaching for was achieved. Right. You know, and that and it kind of made me realize really like the job is like a great job. It's just like, I need a lot of assistance. Yeah, yeah. Like un- unbeknownst to me sometimes. There's a lot of other factors. Yeah, I just need some assistance yeah. in or, being able to do my job well. Or you're banging your head against like the problem on the paper in front of you and then you just realize that like, 
your pencil needs sharpening or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It ain't really. The yeah. math is fine. The yeah. math is all balancing out. <laughs> the tool yeah. is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember, do you I don't know if you guys uh, ever read Peanuts, but it was always like a, like a continuous joke where it's like Linus or someone was it Linus who played tennis. And it always be like it's the racket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It always be Definitely. like the racket is wrong. When you think back to the first, going back to the early first DJs, first parties you ever DJ, did you did you feel like you had a natural knack for being able to read that, to read the energy, like from the very get go? Did it feel like? And what were those parties? Yeah, and what were the parties? I mean, like? they, they were they were like small East London school parties. I remember being a, you know what? There was there was a pivotal moment for me as a DJ, and I will never forget this as long as I live. So back then you know, we had to play vinyl, right? So you only had so many records and so much time. And, you know, like, I didn't actually have turntables, but I had records because the turntables were more expensive. So my friend had a turntable, so I would go buy the records, go to his house, practice, and I was terrible. I was bad for ages. I was really bad. <laughs> like, he, he forced me to just use the same two records till I got good. He was like, you cannot nice. play my turntables until you know how to mix these two exact records. Right. And like, for some reason, I couldn't figure out how two records that were exactly the same would mix. <laughs> it was just like, it was beyond the, like my basic mind. <laughs> so like, you know, one day I graduated to being able to mix the same two records and it was like, oh, water and water becomes water. And then I was like, great. Right. I'm a bartender now. So, um, <laughs> and then, you know, eventually I graduated to mixing other records, but there was so... We'd go to the record store and I would save our lunch money. My mum was just not interested in helping, you know, my, my future career grow in any way. She's like, it's not a job. <laughs> like, so it was like all my lunch money went towards buying records. Um, and I had to play like a school party. It was like, I remember this. It was in a real club and they let us have it up to like midnight. Um, the kids, when we were 16. And I was playing and it was going well. And this new Wu-Tang record would come out. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was. It was either Wu-Tang or another time. It was one of them. Really good. It was made Method Man. One of them, right? And I remember playing and I put that record on and I dropped it at the exact right moment and the room went crazy. <laughs> and I was just like... Sam, drop a bomb. That's it. <laughs> I found it. I found a thing. Yeah. I found a thing where people like me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally that moment defines everything for me about DJing and like... You know, I've gone way past the point of even caring sometimes if I drop a record and it makes that makes the room do that. Yeah. Because that was a very specific moment with a very specific audience. Whereas and, and where you really needed to have that moment, have that experience. Yeah, and I was young yeah. and it was just like the beginning, you know, yeah. it's 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 what they it's what you need when you're young, when you're when you're growing within an idea or a space, it's just for encouragement. Right. It was just encouraging for people to be like he did, played the right song at the right time at the right exact drop. Yep. Where it needs to happen in the room. And since then, you know, I've grown beyond that. But now for me with DJing and especially, you know, to answer a kind of earlier question you had, I trace it back to really what this is about, you know, and like you go way, way, way deep and then you go into like Jamaican sound systems and what those things were. And then you go back to like even ballroom dancing in England. You know, people mm. went out to feel good, dress well. It was a release from the week of work and, you know, it was a way of just, you know, just, you know, experiencing something else apart from just having a job. Right. Right. And, you know, in places like Jamaica, it's purely a part of the culture you know music is embedded in their society like it's how they speak to each other it's how people understand who's who you know like that's how you mark the passage of time right areas and you know like neighborhoods you know they have specific sort of stars that represent that and sound systems so you've got that then you move on to like hip-hop in america and the origins of that with like you know for a lot of people, that was an escape from, like, you know, the streets and the gangs, you know, yeah. like, you know, they would break dance into hip-hop records. And, you know, a lot of the DJs who didn't have, you know, formal training in music or, you know, like, could play instruments were DJs by default. 
because the school programs for making mu- you know for teaching instruments and learning music were being cut in the right. 70s right so yeah. by default they picked up records and they played them to yeah. an audience and then you know you move into new wave and then disco especially and i think disco for me is literally i was talking to someone last night there's a there's a really interesting new place in new york i don't know if it's new actually it's called chinese tuxedo and a friend of mine yeah chinese tuxedo it's in chinatown and a friend of mine was djing downstairs and it's really cool bar she's playing disco and i was dancing with this girl we we're just kind of talking and i said something i was like you know i just realized something all of this time disco disco only works if you dance to it like it's completely <laughs> redundant 100 <laughs> like it's completely redundant music if yeah. you don't dance to it yeah if, it's purely dance music if you sit around drinking beers talking to your friends with disco on yeah it's, it's kind of like it's clanging yeah, yeah it's man. like mate what, what's going on like yeah. sports center yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah like it's the opposite of sports center isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and goddamn, sometimes you need the exact opposite yeah, of sports, sports center <laughs> <laughs> like wow it's disco ladies and yeah. gentlemen no and 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 i think so that's why disco is the ultimate music for me number one for the for the very reason that it is purely inherently dance music for being out yeah to being out it's for sharing it's communal but also because disco you know is also one of those music that kind of in terms of genre doesn't really exist because you know if you trace it back all the disco djs in the mid 70s and early 70s the only records they had to play weren't defined by a genre it was a group of records that made sense at a certain tempo. Right. Some of them were soul records. Right. Some of them yeah, were even yeah. like quasi-classical records, right. you know, like... Different roots Yeah, music. different roots, you know, yeah. early electronic records, you know, like, yeah. you know, rock records that made sense. You know, the Rolling Stones have been played next to Kraftwerk, right. next to... So really, as a genre of music, it really doesn't exist. What happened is it became popular and then people were like, okay, that tempo, 120 BPM, yep. which, you know, is known to be the rate of kind of what the human heartbeat works, you right. know, like standardized, yeah. boom, 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 right? That's kind of what we'll stick to, you know, and disco as a genre came formed out of that. But I go back to the origins of it, which is it's a very wide reaching and the job of disco DJs. And when you really investigate the guys from like the mid 70s to, you know, the late 70s and then, you know, everyone else, the guys and the girls from the 80s onwards, those people just went as far as possible. It was archaeology. Their job was to find, you know, the furthest reaches of music and present it in a format of a nightclub. Right. And that's what, to answer your earlier question, that's kind of what I try and do. Yeah. My thing is, how far out can I go? It's the edit again. Yes. It's like, di- you don't sit in a studio with musicians as an artist and make a disco record. No. The selector goes through all kinds of different music looking for that disco thing. Yeah. And then disco forms when you put it all together. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> there you go. I just learned another something. Bomb. Not Sports Center. Real, yeah, real drop another bomb. Fuck Sports episode Center. We're talking 31. about culture. <laughs> this is the breakthroughs episode. Yeah, there what, you go. What a really basic question. So, like, when you played last night, you don't have, you don't get up there with, like, a playlist that you're just going to run through? I do. I mean, I actually, um, ironically, uh, yesterday was, like, a new setup for me because the week before I played in New York, um, and someone kicked <laughs> someone oh, but, well I don't know if someone did but someone definitely somehow managed to pull the power lead out of the setup that we were using at the uh, Gavin Brown space in Harlem twice and I now use a USB stick which plugs into a CDJ and if anyone knows anything about you don't even know to, about CDJs just imagine you've plugged your USB into your computer and you've ejected it several times without ejecting it properly yeah. eventually it wipes all of the data shit so as I was playing, coming to like the climax of my set, is I was climaxing in my set. Someone kicked the power thing and then basically wiped all the data. 
Damn. So I was left dataless. Um, and that was maybe four years of collecting music, sitting in that. Sp- and it's... It, no backup? So, yeah. So here's the thing, right? Oh. So <laughs> right before I left London, like a month ago, I kept saying to myself, Back it up. Back it up, back it up. And <laughs> I use a specific stick, which is just like the strongest one, and they only sell it online. All the excuses in the world, but I didn't do the one thing I should have done, which is to back it up. So when I played yesterday, I had to literally construct whatever I had. And iTunes have also changed the settings of music. Now yeah. you can't extract. It's just a very boring, technical, nonsensical thing. But long story short, when I played yesterday, I had limited resources. So right. I was in a very, very, very new space, right. which I hadn't been for a while, which is uncomfortable in one way, but actually quite freeing in another because yeah. I was just like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're flying commando today, guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so working I, inside of a, you know, the be- the best, most creative, most exciting, most like hair on your neck raising things happen when you're working in a weird box of usually yeah. not of your own choosing. Yeah, and I also think like if you've done something for long enough, like DJing or writing or making films or acting or any practice is kind of related to art in a way. Well, not even art, but I think limited tools uh they, you'll make them work. Yeah, you'll do. You know, because you at a certain point you just have to become a professional. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you're an yeah. amateur forever, yeah, just right? Get it done, yeah. right? Well, you know, like I like I saw a Picasso exhibition at the uh, MoMA. I think it was last summer, and it was sculpture based ma- ma- mainly. And they were, you know, they were talking about the periods he went through with sculpture. And there was a period where he couldn't actually get access to the tools. Um, or some of the materials he needed to sculpt because it was the, during the war yep. and a lot of it was being used by the Germans, you know, like a lot of the metals. And stuff. So he was using scrap. Right. And there were sculptures there that he'd done in a day, right? <laughs> and I remember my friend and I, we were just like, what have you ever done in a day? <laughs> <laughs> we kind of just stood there and stared at the sculpture. We're like... He did that. And they were like, there was a, a sculpture no he tools. did, yeah, like, like in the middle of the night, in the dark, because he was hiding. <laughs> <laughs> With scraps. <laughs> and we were just like, yeah, he's so, pretty good at doing that, isn't he? So, like, so we're all out of excuses. Yeah, no, really, at a certain point, I think, you know, if, if you believe and you're, 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 you're professional and you love what you do and you have passion for it, the aim is to get better at it. And I think once you get to that stage where you get better at it, then limitations, they work. You can make them work. Yeah. You so know. have you started to put back together those four years of uh, music you collected? I'm not, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to move forward. Fresh I think, start. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm just going to move forward and just try and be, you know, like in the moment. Like it happened for a reason and that reason was me not backing it up. So <laughs> 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 next time I better back it up. Yeah. Uh, you guys have you guys have an occasional tagline, the LA years. Yes. You and the No Vacancy homies. That's Tremaine's fault, by the way. The LA years. But yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll place that squarely on Tremaine. Yes. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, we, uh, we, we feel like magazine making and, and, and GQ style is all about we're, we're trying to go to where the energy is yeah. and basically do our version of reporting on that. Yeah. You know, we, we use a very soft idea of a report. Yeah. But still, that, that's kind of what it's about. Like, where's the energy and how do we get in the middle of it and yeah. par- participate in a meaningful way? Um, in a lot of ways, the conversations we've been having, a lot of the energy is in L.A. right now. And I'm wondering, what was the math that moved you there and um what does that say about london and new york that la is kind of like what's popping it's probably purely personal because you know sometimes i try and sort of (laughs) i sort of sort of project my personal feeling yeah yeah you make grand grand (laughs) cultural statements the way i feel is the way it is kids um they definitely don't sell cuban cigars in la so there's definitely something that i 
believed in that made me move there. Yeah. Apart from <laughs> being able to smoke really good cigars. Uh, I, you know, you know what? I, I, I travel as much as you guys do. Uh, maybe more, maybe less. But LA is a place that over the last few years. I. So here's the thing. The first time I ever went to LA, I went there on a pun of the fact that I was like writing for a website and my entire job was to track down specific producers in LA who'd made the hip hop records in the nineties I was really into. Um, and Sweet they, gig. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> I got nothing done to be honest. I did hang out, but no, <laughs> art like, I took a massive learning, which is just, you know, like actually be prepared and, you know, but when I did, I, I was, I felt really odd. It was a really isolating experience. It was a new experience. You know, it didn't have Uber at the time. Yeah. Um, it didn't, you know, the Metro, we actually rode the Metro, which is such an odd thing. Mm. Um, but you know, and, and like at that time it was like going to a corner store meant driving, you know, to like yeah. go, go and get like a bottle of water or something. 20 minute drive. Yeah. It was just like all the things that people typically associate with LA not being, not feeling good. You know, yeah. first time I went in like a Hollywood restaurant, it was everyone. And we were with a friend of ours uh, at the time who she was like a backup singer for David Bowie, like really beautiful lady. And I remember everyone in the restaurant just kind of like, like kind of turning around Cream. every five <laughs> seconds <laughs> to figure out what this really chic and beautiful lady was doing with these two bozos. Like <laughs> <laughs> who so was the other bozo? It was you and who? It was my friend Doby actually. He was yeah. a producer. He's a, like an old school London skate legend and a producer now photographer. So shout out to Doby. But anyway, so he took me to LA because he used to hang out. They used to skate there in the 80s. So he knew it like from that side. So that was my first. And so all the typical things that people associate with LA not being cool or not being nice or just being like a just kind of vast empty space. I, I, I went through all of that. Yeah. And, but that's that also something happened, which was that night, that same lady said to us, Oh, do you want to go to the gig? And she was just like, A gig. And I was like, Sure. And it was my last night. And I hated it. I was, remember, was missing my girlfriend at the time. It was like a whole thing. And we went to the gig, and it was Erica Badu's Mama's Gun album launch party where she was performing. Yes. Yes. Right. So, what a way to you know, witness LA. And I remember just being in the room and the music was magical and her performance was amazing because she's amazing, full stop. And I left and I just went, wow, I don't think there was something about the ambience and the space, just yeah. like that John Lautner house, by the way. Yeah. And that music in LA that made me go, there's something magical in the air. And I knew that then, right? right? And then I started going back more and more and more. And here's the thing. When I grew up in London, that magic, which the 13 to 21 year old me felt, was in the air through the music and the magazine and the people I was meeting and Goldie wasn't hanging out with Bjork and Tricky was hanging out. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, that was London. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, the, yeah. the London I grew up in was literally walking out of a club and seeing like Tricky and Bjork and Goldie and like, Vivian you know, Westwood? yeah. No, Vivian Westwood never hung out. Alexander McQueen actually hung out yeah. quite a lot. Um, yeah. And Damon Auburn and all these kind of like, you know, counterculture figures who are now older and like, you know, renowned. They were like, the people who were making it pop in London. Yeah, and I saw that, They were right? in the mix. They, they were, were the mix. They were the mix, right? Yeah. And then I look back on the pictures of like New York in the 70s and the 80s and that, you know, illusionary idea that probably was like that, you know, with like Lou Reed and Andy Warhol and yeah. all of these things, right? So, and then when I started coming to New York, there was still a little bit of that. There was a remnant of that mm -hmm. left over, right? Um, but not so much. So the thing is, I started going back to LA every other year or every other summer and hanging out. And slowly but surely, you know, Silver Lake emerged, and Echo Park yeah. emerged, and you know, yeah. all these places where you could walk emerged in yeah. LA. And that changed a lot, right? And then Uber emerged, and you could actually drive. And all of a sudden, it was like, I started getting that vibe in LA that I caught in London when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, and I caught in New York later on, which is just like, you know, you had, you kind of like, 
famous people, hanging out with musicians, hanging yeah. out, you know. And it was in a very small space. But then within the space of like, I don't know, two to five years, I want to say, something happened. You know, like the Kardashians emerged. And they were, you know, younger Kardashians were hanging out with people like ASAP Rocky. And ASAP Rocky moved there. Yeah. And Kanye West was living there. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I remember what Saint Laurent, you know, like uh, Eddie Slimane decided yeah. to move a studio to yeah, LA. Yeah. And every just, every New York artist yeah. moved to visual LA. Visual artist, painter all of my moved friends. to LA. Yeah, 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 all of yeah, my yeah, personal yeah, friends. Yeah, 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 exactly. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it was like you would just, you know, and people from London who just disappeared. I didn't know where they'd gone. You know, we're in LA. Yep. You know, like, <laughs> and so I'd go to LA and all of a sudden that feeling and that vibe that I caught when I was younger in New York and London seemed to... Sort of, be, it was being replicated, yeah. Right, and it's not exactly the same because it's not exactly the same space. It's not the same city. It's totally. laid out geographically different. Yeah. But that feeling is now crystallizing into something. And I don't know if it's a movement. I don't know if it's a cultural shift. I don't know if it's the zeitgeist. I can't quite pin it down because there are people like Virgo Abloh. Virgil will say, oh, LA is just a retirement home for cool people. <laughs> <laughs> There's some truth to that. No, it's Partially. absolutely. Hey, listen, but, it's true. It's true. But they've got enough juice left in them that uh, some stuff is still popping. I, I, I would describe that feeling. The closest, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I have a weird, there's a weird number of par par parallels in my relationship to L.A. to what you're talking with. Starting with the fact that the first time I ever went to L.A. was in 2005 and I was looking for Manny Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in L.A.? Yeah, it, it, was, it was, maybe it was 2004. I don't remember, uh, my math could be wrong, but it was not long after Katrina. Yeah. So he, he, he was moved. hiding out there, and yeah. he, he was not calling me back. Yeah. I was working at the fader, so mm. I, t I, too, was hunting a producer. Yeah. And I was like, man, I c you could just tell it was like either you were in the mix in Hollywood or by which I mean like Hollywood, Tinseltown, like yeah. the film industry, yeah. and there was nothing else. Yeah. And then slowly all, th all that started changing. But um, And at the time, New York had this, and I w obviously um, I did spend six months in, in the east end of London that were pretty special but i wasn't in the mix like that yeah but i would describe it as anything could happen yeah and you just have that feeling mm. like should i go out tonight should i stay in should i watch this movie if i go out anything could happen that's an that's really an amazing way to put it and that is actually that sums it up for me with ballet there and are if everybody has like if that's like tickling the back of everybody's yeah. brain guess what something's gonna happen no it really it really and you know sometimes nothing happens absolutely <laughs> nothing you know but like no you're right and it's you know and also la doesn't have the sort of basic components that made up the cities that we all love and grew up in to give it that sort of the same feeling. So it doesn't yeah. really have club culture. It's in got the same soft way. edges. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it has bigger houses. So yeah. people like, someone's house becomes a club. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of houses I've been to where it's just like, oh, you're here and you're here. And oh, of course you're here. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, two weeks ago, um, flex. Um, two weeks ago, another flex, yeah. <laughs> Drop Mark, a bomb, Sam. Mark, Mark Ronson threw a party at Rick Rubin's ranch uh, in Malibu. Shangri-La, yeah, baby. Shangri-La. So, and I don't know where Ruben was. He wasn't there, but he was. It <laughs> was definitely his house in his living room. And a bunch of Bob us. Dylan's tour bus was yeah, there. Yeah, no, it was all there. And we just basically went and hung out. And Mark was playing really cool music, and there was a few other DJs. And 
you know, the discussions that happened in that room and the vibe, it felt like going to a club in London right. in the late 90s or in New York in the early 2000s to me. But you're in these kind of like open air garage spaces on the cliffs of Malibu. It's, a, it's like being in a club, but it's also... Yeah, and I, I and Malibu'd I, out. Uh, right, and uh, but the thing is that doesn't happen in London anymore. Right. People are too busy. It's too expensive. Like there isn't enough time. The houses aren't big enough. You know what I mean? That doesn't necessarily happen in New York in the same way anymore because no one's actually around to even to do that with, or to give up their time freely. With without saying anything you don't want to, obviously, give us like the idea of of or the energy behind one of the conversations that you had that night that was special. Well. uh to be fair and to be honest, there were some psychedelics ingested, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> Felt good at the time. Um, I'm not really sure that the audience is going to get it in a way that... No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is going to take an hour and a half. Here yeah, I go. Yeah, yeah. Down the rabbit hole. No, I mean, you know, you, you know, the, the thing is, to be fair, like, a lot of the times, people are just hanging out and catching up with each other outside yeah. of just, like, an event. So for a lot of us, it's just a relief, like, oh, cool, like, you know. But, you know, for instance, I was talking to Mark about his new record and he's talking about what it what it means and I'm not going to sort of give away anything because it's his own personal um, story. But he's just like, yeah, let's come to the studio and hang out and hear it and, you know, let, you know, just let's just vibe. And there was a lot of that going on yeah. more than anything. It's a general just like, let's hang out and let's vibe. You know, and yeah. for everyone that was in the room from photographers to actresses to musicians to, I think it was just a, a, a space where, because there's the other thing, right? Karl Lagerfeld recently was talking about, so if you get the Studio 54 book, um, the latest one, Ian Schrager, I think, was behind it. Mm -hmm. Really beautiful book. Really, really great history. You know, And it gives you technical specs of the actual club, which huh. is amazing. You know, It's not just like a bunch of really cool pictures. But Karl Lagerfeld was asked about that period because he went, you know, everyone from that time. Right? right. And he went, it was great. He was like, it's amazing. It just won't happen again. And he's like, it can't happen again because of social media. Because everyone's mm. going to take a photo. Yeah. Right? Ruins the vibe. Right. And, and and that was the thing. In the late 90s and in 2000s, you know, like, obviously social media was emerging, but yeah. it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. You know, people are literally going out for Instagram. Let's be honest about it. Yeah. Some people are going out. If they do not put it on Instagram, it didn't happen, right? People are people are living a, a good swath of their lives for content. Right. For content. For, for content. For the gram. That they don't own. Or they're yeah. not even, you know, like, it's, it's just feeding, it's feeding something. Yeah. Whereas that party and the reason it felt special and events like that feel special in LA now is because no one is there for the sake of content. Yeah, right. everyone's it. It felt like the nineties for me again, or the two thousands, because everyone's there for the same reason. We just want to have a good time and hang out with people that we like right. and hang share. for hang sake. Right, right. We weren't trying to create an identity somehow to present and that's sort of and artificially. Yeah. Right, and that's and, and to me that that those are always the places where the best ideas emerged because yeah. everyone's comfortable and everyone's got their guard down and no one feels like they're you know like. You guys know what it's like. You've hung around with enough famous people or semi-famous people to know that, like, once you become, you can't ever be unfamous. You be, you can be infamous, but you can never be unfamous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. the thing is, once you're famous and people know your face and they know you for a particular thing that you do, there's almost certainly no way you can go in public view where you're not scrutinized in some way right and your take even if it's just the risk of potential scrutiny yeah from yeah. somebody's camera phone that's yeah. that hovers yeah, yeah or just and also and also when you have a conversation with people you don't know what why they're talking to you anymore yeah right. you get this way and i'm not saying well, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying this from my perspective because yeah. i'm not famous i'm just like i but i have friends who are and yeah. when, when i talk to them they do go through that crisis yeah. of like 
am I just talking to a person who's just a nice person? We're having a couple, or, or eventually you're going to go, oh, by the way, she listened to my demo. And, I'm just <laughs> like, and now I'm beholden to you. Yeah. I mean, I get this in Uber rides. I try and tell people the least amount of information about myself as possible. Yeah. Because for you guys, it's just like, he does this many things and it's just yeah. a bunch of jobs and things he's into. Yeah. But when I talk to people who don't do that many things, it sounds like I lead a sort of spectacular existence, yeah, which, yeah. which to a certain extent, it's, it is pretty, fun. It's pretty spectacular. Pretty true. The life of Asa yeah, is yeah, like, you know. it's spe- but, but it's also just my life. I've been doing this for long enough for it not to you know mean anything more than this is what I do. Yeah. And then I always get that thing is, can I take your number at the end of an Uber ride? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I can help you in any way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I know for famous people, when they go through that in just general everyday life, it's tough. So I guess with these parties in LA, don't, that's the reason why they exist. It's a reprieve from it's that. Reprieve. Let the guard down and actually And when you let hang. your guard down, which yeah. is what used to happen when I was younger in all of these clubs, before yeah. there were phones and all these other things, people talk about ideas and they form, you know, they form into something and they go, let's catch up and let's do something. Let and a record label's born, a clothing brand's yeah. born. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, things launch that way. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you something about um, L.A. that may not matter to you. As someone who cares about aesthetics and particularly style, uh-huh. did you have a hard time uh, adjusting? Uh, to me, uh, one thing about L.A. was always just like terrible style. People there don't know how to dress, don't have any good taste. That was like a very New York bias sort of perspective of that. I tried Did you have a hard time tolerating it when you first got there? I, I try not to care, but, you know, you know I, I think I was kind of prepared for whatever, you know, I was going to witness primarily for two reasons first of all i actually think bad style is style you know like yeah there's something to be said for like that you know like at certain point some people are so relaxed in their look it's just cool yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. it's just oh, like it. they don't totally. care like yeah, i just count it yeah like, like <laughs> i can't like i can't say ruben's not cool he's cool as fuck yeah, but like, yeah, guys, yeah. Like, yeah. and he is a typical malibu like you know just sandals and shorts and like a Khaki t-shirt shorts, yeah, yeah it's like he's cool he's yeah. comfortable so on that side, and I also remember this thing when I was reading an article about um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think it was an interview, and Anthony Kydis, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Um, he spoke about coming to London, clubbing, and they were like, are you into it? He's like, no, I hate it. And then he was, they were like, why? He's like, because the minute you get to the door, even though it's meant to be this place of like free love and free experience, they judge you on what you're wearing. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, that's actually kind of interesting. Interesting because, way to flip it. Yeah, yeah interesting way to flip it. Because, because, you know, post-Acid House, that was the whole thing. Acid House was kind of like, the British version of like Woodstock or whatever, like mm-hmm. the summer of love. You yeah. know, I think it was like 88, 89 in England. And out of that, you know, like kids took a lot of drugs and like made music and were free and partied in fields. Yeah, they yeah. parties in fields. And it was meant to be free. But within that, there was still a uniformity in a dress code. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone from California comes along and yeah. tries to like just Looking experience like it. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, uh. Yeah, they're like, oh, dude, like, yeah. <laughs> no, mate. We've never met a surfer in our life. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, so because of that, you know, to answer your question, the LA style thing has never really struck me as being bad or good. I just think like, and also now, because there are so many transplants from everywhere else. Yeah, yeah it's changing. And also, here's the thing. Here's, 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 here's my mind-blowing fact that blew my mind when I really thought about it. I thought about geography, right? And I thought about scale. And I was thinking, and someone said to me, six million people moved to LA last year. Damn. That's half of London. Wow. I don't know how many people are in, in New York City, but Ten. six million yeah. people moved. The LA from two years ago doesn't feel like more busy yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. so that means there's a lot of space yeah. right now if we really boil down what we consider style in terms of cities down to manhattan new york or brooklyn or london soho shoreditch 
you're only really never talking about a few thousand people who look really good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Everyone yeah. else is in the suburbs yeah, where it's suburban shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very small community, yeah, yeah. but it's so condensed. Right. And we're so in you each other. You get a lot with one wonder right, down right, the right, street. Right, 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 right. We, yeah. so, we, see, we see each other. We're in one space. LA doesn't have that. Yeah. I guarantee you that if you were to extract everyone who's got so-called good style in LA yeah. and place them into one environment, right. we'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> everyone's killing it today. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, the other and, thing is also just the environment. I mean, like the the, the, the weather, this, the weather, the sky, the plants, the architecture. I love the east side of LA. The little bungalows with like cactus in the yards, you yeah, know, stuff yeah. that I'd never even seen. Yeah, and and you're right. Like the guy in the flip flops and the khaki shorts, like he fits into that landscape. Just and he does cactus, have cool man. style. And then you go to Tokyo or New York, and everybody's got cactus in there. Every every little shop and cafe is trying to look like it's yeah. in LA, in the east side of LA somehow. So it is. It does have its own style. I'm, they can't fake that. It's light, appealing. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, and, and also LA, LA dudes, Brock, you know, shout out to Brock. Um, he's an LA dude. He grew up in California. He's from there. He lives it. He surfs every day. He lives by the beach. He is literally the LA guy. Yeah. And he's like, people in LA don't care how you dress. They care about your car. Yeah. It's like, the dress, the way you dress is not a Who flex. cares? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a thing out here. Whereas I think in the cities that I grew up in and I, you know, I travel to, like again, New York and, and London, they have great public transport systems yeah. yes. where like you don't yeah. need a car necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Good shoes. Yeah. But your you, shoes you, your but car, people yeah. are going to see, people yeah. are going to see, you're going to see that same girl on the subway every day. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you really want to talk to her. So you got to try and talk to her through your clothes first. And yeah. then, you know, trust last time I ran into A side in LA, he was walking down Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard in a, sink, a silk double-breasted suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He wasn't no, wearing no. a James Purse t-shirt, <laughs> my brother. My man was in a silk DB, uh, tailored up. Dude, it was, it was, I think I just And we were it. both walking. <laughs> we were both, both walking in Los Angeles. <laughs> both walking. I was yeah. like, you know what? I, you know, the thing I enjoy about Los Angeles more than anything, ironically, to, to actually bring it back to your point, is that when I get dressed or you know decide to wear whatever I want to wear in a day in London everything comes a statement like you're going somewhere you're doing something yeah. in LA no one cares yeah. <laughs> I can literally wear a double breasted suit in the middle of the day in LA yeah. and just go for lunch and people are just nobody like, blinks nobody because yeah. like the same way they don't blink the fact that like there's a billionaire in a bunch of cargo shorts and like yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. you like whatever Some rainbow flip flops yeah, yeah like they're like they're just waiting yeah. to see you get in your car yeah 100%, 100%. <laughs> they just want to see you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did you come and how will you leave <laughs> uh, Asa I think we first hung in Paris and there's a we got an interesting uh, June coming up ahead of us yes Virgil's gonna be showing yes. first collection of LV yes uh your friend, if I'm not mistaken, Kim Jones. Yes. Now at Dior. Yes. Um, Hyder will be showing Hyder, but not at Berluti. Shame. Shame. Just uh, news in today, I believe Hyder will be showing during women's a joint show. Ooh. Ooh. So we get no Hyder at all. We're missing Hyder. Oh for two on Hyder yeah. in June. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, um, to, sorry to report that. What do you? You know, for uh, especially well for the whole scene, but but first of all for Virgil's first collection at a major house and kim after the move what are you kind of like hoping for what do you think the energy is going to be like what are you anticipating well i mean you know we we all hope it's just really cool stuff that they make stuff that we <laughs> <laughs> that we all like and we want to buy and you know like it's accessible and you know people fuck with but you know uh, ultimately i think you know it's it's a weird it's a weird time you know and especially for you guys working on this side of the business um or this side of the culture 
fashion and menswear has reached such a zenith in terms of popular opinion. Yeah. I don't remember it ever being like this. It hasn't ever been like this. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like, also like floating the business in a lot of ways. No, it's amazing. And it's a really interesting twist, right? Yeah. Because this was what sports was like for guys. Once yeah. upon a time. Yeah. The kid who, the, the manager of the, 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 the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in football clubs in England, it yeah. meant the world. You know, Arsene Wenger and, you know, like, you know, whoever the manager of, you know, Manchester United was at the time. You know, all of these things meant something around the world. And now people talk about head designers of fashion houses and yeah. menswear yeah, brands right. like that like their football managers yeah, like, totally. like this person is in this season it's yeah. gonna change the way the yeah. house is viewed and, <laughs> and it, so it's it's amazing and I, and I remember when it wasn't like this and talking to someone I can't remember who I wished because this is really important and they said they were like do you remember the, do you remember when street style emerged right and uh, like, or the idea of it as like an online phenomenon, right? right. And what was it Scott Schumann? Was that his name? Yeah, he's yeah. Shirley on, yeah. The Sartorialist. Right, 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 right. And he was shooting and like, you know, it was always an interesting sort of like a social study to look at these things. But I also remember there was a certain section of people who just laughed at the amount of people who were peacocking and yeah. the pity yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Guys, yeah. you'd go to pity, suited up, like yeah. really going for just it. Just to do that. Yeah. Just to do that. And people would laugh at them. And someone said to me the other day, they're like, those guys died for our sins. <laughs> <laughs> they said, because if those guys hadn't made it their job every season yep. to get dressed up and go all the way in and get laughed at and get looked at and get photographed, we wouldn't be here right yeah, now. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. Yeah. I think that like, you know, looking back on it now, it's like they were kind of advanced because they were the ones who cared. I I have also been the one at I've I've often been the one like at a dinner at pity at night after leaving the show and everybody's just clowning those dudes. That, yeah, that is just like you know they're the ones pulling the pulling like if we think of culture as a wave, they're the ones at the front pulling the whole thing forward. Yeah. Now now they're hilarious and ridiculous and and you know you can't disagree with any of the shots that get taken. They're, they're almost just wrong. like being more honest though in a way as well, you know, cuz there's plenty of other people that are walking by that put just as much thought yeah. into what they're wearing and care just as much, but that they spent exactly 0 they minutes looking at like product on tables <laughs> and we're also there just to peacock around in yeah. a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the key thing is key word is photograph. If it's not you know if the image isn't like shot and then put on like a blog or whatever, it's just a guy who's really dressed up. Yeah. And then you ask if someone's really going to get dressed up like that without a photo being taken. Yeah. You know, but I, not to not to kind of like uh, stray too far away from the actual question. I think it's great. I think, you know, I'm really looking forward to what Virgil does and what Kim does. I think they're different types of designers. Um, and I think we're in a modern age where, you know, I know there's some contention about some of these appointments sometimes mm -hmm. and what they mean to the larger world of fashion, like formal training and then how you actually have a job. But, you know, something that we have to bear in mind, especially with Louis Vuitton, is, like, he's only really the third menswear designer. They've only really been making clothes for, what, 10 years? Yeah. yeah. They made luggage. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like, it's an undefined space. Yeah. Yep. So whatever, not be too precious Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's a luxury house. Fair enough. It's Louis Vuitton. Like, we get it. Like, yeah. and it's French. And he's a black guy from Chicago of Ghanaian descent. Like, all of these things are, like, obvious to us. Like, no, no one's blind. But let's also, you know, let's just let's let him have his space to do what he's been appointed to do. And I think the people who run these companies are smart enough to know that when they appoint these guys, you know, they are not just buying into someone who's technically gifted. Right. They're buying into like some of the best communicators of our modern era. Yeah, totally. Like if Virgil has one gift, if I was to like boil, boil it. it down, which, you know, is really unfair in one way, but for the sake of this conversation, 
Virgil's gift is that he's one of the best communicators on the planet. Absolutely. Like, you know, Virgil has enough talent and enough brain power and enough charm that he could actually help the UN right now. Like, he's in that space. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not me reaching in any way. Because he communicates so clearly and so humbly and in a way that, like, people feel like they're a part of what he's saying yeah. right. as opposed to being told. Yeah. You know, so they want to wear his clothes for that reason, you know, and they want to wear his shoes for that reason. And they want to buy IKEA furniture that he's involved in for that reason. When people when he was announced and then, you know, the people were taking sides and all that and uh, somebody called me for a comment on it. It was kind of like, well, this guy's got more sky miles. It's Louis Vuitton, like you said, a luggage house. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody has traveled yeah. more. He's the modern in the explorer. Last eight years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then Virgil. Yeah, so perfect. Gulliver. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, and with Kim, like, you know, who's going to get you safely from the airport lounge <laughs> to the back of the Uber or or driven Mercedes to the hotel room? Which, let's be honest, is uh, about all the exploring people are doing these days. Yeah, and listen, Virgil, man, he's got you. And listen, man, honestly, let's keep it real. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we, we all know what's up and we like clothes and we, you know, we spend some of our money on it and we spend money on other things. The guys who are really, really about this, like your Migos and your rappers and your athletes and the guys who are really, they have enough money yeah. to spend on really expensive, well-made clothing. Yeah. They are so happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you jump in and their happiness makes me happy. <laughs> do you know how many <laughs> Do you know how many Will Welch, Noah Johnson and A sides it would take to spin the Migos? So our opinions don't count for shit. <laughs> oh no, they count. They count, but I'm just saying I know like, you know, listen, like, you know, we're jaded. Well, we, you know, we we have jobs to do and we do them well and we are in this world. But, you know, we could walk away from this right now with, you know, our happiness intact and just be like, well, that was fun. Yeah. We worked there. That was cool. Whereas I think those guys were like, they're rapping on stage and they're making amazing records and they're playing basketball and they're playing American football and they're professional what they do. And they make so much money. Like, you know, to them, the benefit of doing what they do, the payoff Right, like a child who's done all its own work. Right, it's like they can go to Louis Vuitton <laughs> yeah. in spring 2019 and they can buy a Virgil Abloh collection, or they can go to Dior yeah. and buy a Kim Jones collection and they're gonna look fresh as fuck to their friends. Yeah, yeah. And I think that counts for something. Absolutely. A there's a joy in that. <laughs> made by somebody who understands them. Yeah, in a world where there's a lot of bleak news, <laughs> there's a lot of darkness, and we are faced with like apathy and anger every day. Yeah. There is something to be said for like the superficial world being able to lift up the spirit. And that's not me reaching at all. I actually yeah, just I gained so real. much joy yeah. from seeing like people are just like, this shit's fucking fresh. Yeah. And I look fucking cool. <laughs> Uzi. Do you do you is there another level of joy or maybe pride you feel by these two guys who are very close to you in other ways, Virgil's a fellow DJ, Kim Jones came up with that sort of gimme five vibe and, and in the London streetwear scene, like now these guys are really leading the, the pinnacle of luxury in France. Like, do you feel another type of connection, another type of joy or pride that comes from that? Oh yeah. No, on a personal level, you know, I'm so happy for both of them. Um, I think whatever measurement of scale we want to put to it, they deserve where they are. Right. Because I don't think the people who own these companies are just handing out jobs. Yeah. Definitely not. Right? I think there's an expectation um, and I think there's a journey that's been taken for them to arrive at that point. Right? So 
I, I'm so happy for both of them. Um, you know, I, I hope they do, you know, the best jobs possible and they're given a chance. Because that's the other thing as well. You know, we live in an age of like instant critique. Right. You know, instant gratification, instant critique. Like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. I yeah. saw it five seconds ago. Yeah. Or like, you know, <laughs> VogueWrongWay.com. That sucks so bad. Yeah. I wasn't even there. I haven't felt the fabric. It really sucks. sucks. Yeah. yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, we're dealing with that a lot more than we've ever had to. And those guys are going to obviously, they're going to have to take that on the nose. Um, but no, it's amazing. And it's more amazing, you know, for them on one hand, on a personal level, I'm so happy. They're friends and like, it's really cool to see them in that space. Um, and I'm sure for both of them, they're really happy to be there. But also, I think for future generations to come, it just opens up the debate and the discussion yeah. and, you know, the possibility of potential. Yeah. Because these guys are guys that, like, two years ago, ten years ago, five years, whoever knows them knows their journey. And it's just like, they're just regular guys who worked really hard and stuck yeah. it out. Yeah. And they've been given, you know, the space to now express themselves. And, you know, I, I think it's it's true of Kim, but it's especially true of, of Virgil. It's just, like, breaking paradigms left and right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Virgil's, Virgil's, The Virgil's. path, if you look at the path and the, how crowded, if you look at all the paths that he's taken and the tunnels that he created from point A to like point F that nobody had ever been able to connect before and how crowded those tunnels are now yeah. with people trying to do the same, yeah. you've got to fucking give it up. I have to give it up. Nobody, everyone else can do whatever they want. Yeah, I've no, no, no. no. Listen, up. I mean, Virgil, incredible. Virgil's an outlier and he's he's a real ambassador for, you know, if nothing else, it's just the the belief in yourself and the ability to use that to, to propel yourself yeah. to a place in the most humble and charismatic way, by the way. You know, like a lot of people bully their way to the front. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Virgil's not a bully. Yeah. It's like not he, the year of the bully. Yeah, either. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, totally. We're not in that space. He shares. You know, Virgil's a guy who shares. He shares his ideas. He shares his wisdom. He shares his ability. And where he's lacking, he asks for help, which yeah, is also yeah. like a really, really, really like huge talent to have. Yeah. Totally. Just, just be like... Humble uh, talent. Yeah, yeah, to be, to be humble. So, but the flip side of all of that, with devil's advocate comes into the room, is... Pff, I've said what I've said about, you know, rappers and athletes and all those guys that are going to have a great time. The flip side to that is one of my favorite stores in London is a store called Browns. It's been there forever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I shop there a lot whenever I'm in London. Um, shout out to JP and all the guys over in the store. And JP is a guy who's been at the store for a long time. I can't remember how long, but he's been there for a long time. Maybe going on a decade. He's seen fashion come and go. He knows tailoring. Yeah. He has a immense taste. You know, they sell stuff from like Walid to... Um, they carry some Neighborhood. They carry a bit of Vizvim. They mm. carry Off-White, which does really... And he said recently he's really been struggling on the sales floor. Not because clothes aren't selling. They're selling more than ever, if anything. But only a particular style of clothes is selling. Mm. And he was like, he finds it, you know, because his whole thing, and, you know, this is why, why he's one of my favorite people, is I remember when the first time I ever actually decided to wear cowboy boots is because I walked into the store one day and instead of him just going, hey, you kind of look like this, you should wear this. Right. Golden Goose, who now only makes sneakers bizarrely enough made cowboy boots and this was a long time ago mm -hmm. it's maybe going on eight years ago and i tried them on and there was something about them that just made yeah. sense at that exact point yeah and it was him he sold them to me yeah so that's always been his thing his thing is just like someone walks into a room i'm not going to gauge them on their height or their look or their you know whatever i'm just going to be like just check this out this right. is amazing yeah and Put he says he says he, he no longer gets a kick out of that because most people are just like no i don't want that i know my I want, lane i want i want the shit with the branding on it yeah. Yeah. it's actually the point and this is the conclusion that we reached all the stuff that's selling from all the brands that we all know we, the top 
five big brands. You know, let's not even go into it. We yeah. know who they are. We know who they are. Yeah. They're all heavily branded. Yeah. And that was always a thing, you know, in the 80s. You know, it's come back around in the 90s. It happened. But the point is, most people are now shopping for Instagram. Right. Yeah. Because if you buy something at a certain price point and you wear it online and it's not recognizable instantly. Did you even wear it at all? Did you even <laughs> wear it? As, to quote a great Noah Johnsonism, you got to at the brand. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, it, it, but, but people, bringing, people want like self-tagging clothes. Yeah. No, no, no. It's but, like pre-tagged. Yeah. But bringing this back to actually the origins of the conversation which is how I grew up and what it meant in that period, in that golden age. Yeah. We wore the clothes that we wore at that time that we could afford to go to clubs. Those were the places that we existed. Those are the spaces we existed within. Or the skate park, or even a record shop. So really, in a way, that was our version of doing this virtual thing. Right? Yeah. What's happened now is there aren't enough cool spaces outside of the virtual world. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram, to an alien who's even slightly interested in society right now, probably looks like the best party yeah. <laughs> or the worst, yeah, yeah. depending on your perspective. The best worst. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. It's yeah. like all the beautiful people are there. Everyone's got really great clothes on. Look at these houses. Look at these cars. Look yeah. at the wine. Look at the drinks. Look at the food. The infinity yeah, pool. Yeah, look at the pool. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, let's not look at the misery at all, yeah. right? Let's yeah. not talk about Palestine and Israel. Let's not yeah. talk about politics. This is a party. It's great. So, when you have that like crystallized into that form obviously it just everyone wants to fit into that yeah. and i think going back to la and going back to growing up in london and new york and these places we need new spaces to be able to admire ourselves or at least exchange ideas yeah you know and if that which brings me back to i remember i said this to you uh will my favorite my favorite the people are going to condemn me for this. Go for Let's it. Let's go. <laughs> Miami Art Basel. Best party in the world oh, right now. Yeah, that was that, a hot take. That yeah, really yeah. Miami Art Basel. Miami Art Basel is literally the best place um, for reasons that, you know. I could A-side 2018. That's a strong take. It's Miami Art Basel, dude. It's not Paris Fashion Week. It's not Freeze Art Fair. You know, the Freeze Art Fair was actually super cool. Some great times, some great parties. Tell them why, A-Side. Miami Art Basel, you know, you know, it is a simple take, right? Miami Art Basel has all the elements that makes for a great time, right? Which is, um, the, the very base of it is, it's an art basel. Like, it's, a, you know, they're selling art. Like, yeah. most people aren't there for that. But there is at least a foundation and idea of, like, presenting an idea of art or culture in yeah. spaces, right? Yeah. That's essentially what it's there for. People who are serious, they buy it, they go there. But in amongst that, brands have been involved and they're spending money on you know presenting their brand in that space. So we get great parties. Now, everyone, you know, all the DJs are like, cool, I've got a great gig to go to and yeah. to spin at. So Virgil, myself, you know, all the other guys, you know, Heron, whoever else, you know, Venus, we all show up, we're all DJing. All the kids are like, Virgil and yeah. no vacancy yeah. in Aaron are gonna be I'm there. Going. We're going. So they <laughs> pack up all that shit, right? Yeah. Right? And then all all the all the really beautiful women are like, you know, I'm there with my friends or I'm with my boyfriend. It's Miami, it's sunny anyway, it's a holiday, it's a beach. Yeah. So you get this convergence, right? Of yeah. all of these like really quite superficial, but also amazing ideas that when they sort of like happen in one space. It just makes for the most fun ever. <laughs> it makes for the most fun. People are dressed so bizarrely and so cool at the same time. Yeah. You know, people are literally wearing like 
their best shit. It's yeah, like yeah. all the stuff Definitely I only see only online. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all the stuff I see online, you know, and it's Miami and it's sunny and it's also a very sexy place. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's got that vibe in, in like here. December, right? Right, in December, and it's yeah. kind of like steamy it. and it's hot. You need it bad. Yeah. Right, and the drinks are flowing and the talks are flowing. And in all honesty, actually bringing it back to something a little bit more real and concrete. Out of all the yard basils that we've gone to, every single year has got better because every year that we go, whether it's Virgil and myself and Tremaine or a few other people, we always end up having some sort of discussion or moment or a round table because it's just everyone is there, you know? And that leads to something amazing that we do in the following year. Right. And that normally that doesn't happen with all the text messages and all the conversations that we have yeah. and all the other periods of the year. It doesn't happen. For some reason, that convergence, because it's not just us. There, there are people there in the art world and they can give us a perspective and say, yeah. hey, present it this way. You know, there are people there with money who will be like, well, that's a really cool idea. We'll pay for that. We want to be involved in it. You know, there are people that are just like, that sucks. And, you know, like, don't do that at all. So really, that Miami Art Basel is, for me, it's the, it's the encapsulation of all the ideals and all the things that I really got kicked out of from going to clubs. It's cool then, that it's been co-opted in that way, too. It's not, like, just the VIP day where the big sale, you know, where A-Rod walks around and, like, buys a new Jeff Koon sculpture or something like this. It's, like, sort of been taken over by... A totally, totally different right. populations of people. It's a yeah, party everything app. around it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen. Secret, not a secret. I've never seen an art show at Miami Art Basel. Right. I go to museums. Like, yeah. if I want to see an art show, I go to art gallery or museum. I don't wait for Miami Art Basel. Yeah. The best thing about Miami Art Basel is it's the only place where you can ever, at 3 a.m., see A-Side swimming in a pool oh, in no. his cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by really cute topless girls. Ah, uh, yeah. That that didn't happen. Um, no. Never never wow. would happen. You still have the boots? Yeah. They yeah. dried out? My Margiela boots, they're never the, they've never been the same again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into 13 Vibes, the lightning, the not-so-fast lightning round of things we're feeling right now. 13. Aside, we're springing this on you. This is uh, the the, the last segment okay. of the pod, and it's simple as pie, man. You just say something you're feeling right now. It could be going to bed early. It could be a designer's name. It could be like a type of boots. Restaurant. It could be a love. song. Yeah, a, a a a way of traveling. It can be literally whatever. A you mantra. Want. Mantra. A uh, mantra. No, you want to start it off? I got to give you an easy one. Harmless harvest. You know what that is? No. Coconut water. It's like the, ah, boo- the yeah. bougiest. Is it, the, is it the pink one? It's the, the pink one with pink. the white I, label. I, I don't fuck with it. I crush this stuff. It's outrageously expensive. I don't fuck with it. There was a good picture of Keanu Reeves on the street barefoot drinking water. <laughs> yeah. Which like really, a Keanu is one of my main inspirations. Smoking and uh, he's having a cigarette and a harmless harvest barefoot in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what I aspire to every morning when I wake up. Yeah, no, they're pretty good. I, 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 I'm really into coconut water. But that particular one, for some reason, I start with yeah, a clear one. And now I'm kind of a bit stained. So. <laughs> Um, what would I say? Uh, David Lynch's Disrupt Festival is on this weekend. Ah, tell it, us about it. Uh, what I know is curated by David Lynch. It happens from tomorrow, which is the 19th of May. Um, but yeah, I've just spoke the podcast because this is recorded prior to that. <laughs> um, but you know, it's happening this weekend in New York and it looks amazing. It's got like an amazing lineup. Um, so I'm going to be going to that and anything David Lynch does, I fucks with just on the basis that David Lynch is the one doing it. Friend of the yeah, pod. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. I got a vibe. It was, uh, I spent the last weekend doing a shoot in Oahu, in Hawaii. 
uh, KTUH, the University of Hawaii's college radio <laughs> station. Oh, yeah. College radio is so good. Stuff. I mean, I'm not going to say it was like being at an A-side set, but this one DJ, I never got her name, but she was just like crashing genres left and right from all over the place. And it just made me thank God for terrestrial radio and specifically thank God for the college radio stations left where there's still some 19 year old DJs who get to play whatever they want. Oh, hell yeah. You just landed oh, also, on that on the tuner also. Yeah. No, I was just seeking around the yeah. tuner, you know, also their, uh, their, their little catchphrase is KTUH, the station that loves you. <laughs> and yeah. then just imagine like a rainbow, like, and you know, looking out the windshield at a rainbow. Um, Next vibe is the, I so Carrie James Marshall the artist sold a uh, painting at Sotheby's the other night for like twenty one million dollars, which is a the the record for uh, African American living African American artist to ever ever sell, and today news came out that Diddy bought it, wow. yes, and that it was uh, Nate Freeman at Art News said that he was he was sitting behind Swizz Beats and Swizz when the auction was won and it was called. Swiss Beats got a, a FaceTime from his, the phone said Diddy, and he like ran out into the hallway and was like pumping his fist energetically, <laughs> FaceTiming with Diddy because he just got the $21 million Carrie James Marshall. So just shout out to all those guys, and that's just such an incredible story. And yeah. this is a pretty sick painting. I haven't seen the, it was in the, the his Whitney show last year. I haven't seen the painting in person, but it's. I mean, congrats, Diddy. Shout out to Diddy for being able to afford it. <laughs> I, I saw Diddy last week. Uh, there was a party after Met Gala. It was like in a. Virgil was DJing and Diddy was there and Mary J. Blige was there. And Diddy, I don't know how old he is. Is he 50? 50? Not 50? Yeah, 50. He looks amazing, man. I yeah, mean, whatever, whatever he's doing, man, just please <laughs> bottle it and sell it. Like, Ciroc is cool, bro, but the what it's making you look the way you look <laughs> L- needs to be sold publicly. L O V E, love. Love. Is it love? Is yeah. it love? Love. Um, a vibe for me at the moment is the return of Andre Benjamin, Andre Free Andre Keep Free K. You you had the let me just say you had the best tweet after the three K release. Oh yeah, and no, I got I got chastised for it though. People didn't understand why I mentioned Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, and uh, Bill Withers in relation to Andre Three Thousand. I mean, it made the most sense what, in the world. It, what, what was the, what was the verbiage of the tweet? I was just trying. To, I mean, I was just trying to put the song. Hey, here's it, it, it. So you know, like uh, in spirit, he's he's not here, but Jermaine is uh, sort of sort of somewhat involved in the project that Andre's working on. And Tremaine, on the day it came out, was the person who sent it to me. And the first time I heard the track, I maybe heard it five seconds before the entire rest of the world heard it because I just got the text right on the nose. Yeah. Uh, my face melted. I was like, I, 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 I couldn't figure out if it was like an old Randy Newman record. Yeah. Or yeah, you know, like yeah, I was yeah. really confused. Yeah. I didn't know what it was at first. Then he was like, it's Andre. And I was like, oh, then I sort of got into the track Then I learned what it was about. Then I figured it all out. And, you know, the thing for me is that the one thing he represents more than anyone and he always has is the freeness and the bravery of artists in whatever medium to be similarly like populist but at the same time, specifically personal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what Elton John, to me, has always done really mm, well. Yeah. That's what Bruce Springsteen has always done really well. And that's what Bill Withers was remarkable at. Right. Right? And that's what that's what I was alluding to. But, but then there are musical elements as well. I'll read the tweet. Asai said, follow at the dark side, C-Y-D-E, by the way. This Andre 3000 ballad, the direct Ross Springsteen vibe. I mean, to me, that was like darkness on the edge of town. It's yeah. Springsteen singing directly into a mic, no yeah. filter. Yeah. The Elton John cordziness speaks for itself. Yeah. The honest and poignant Bill Withers approach. Again, you baked it all into the tweet. Yeah. The reason yeah. you were name checking these guys. 
the wide-eyedness of it, the sad ache of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's about burying his parents yeah. and dealing yeah. with loss and finally come to terms with that. And it's like, it's just... And yet again, you know, like we talk about honesty in music and it's always dressed up in, you know, so many sort of like guises, you know, like because it's quite hard, I think, for artists, especially musicians in this day and age where everything is critiqued instantly, as we said, to just say what they feel unguarded and put it out there, especially when it's so personal. And this record is just pure. It's a personal take on a feeling that everyone in this lifetime who has parents is going to have to deal with or has dealt with. Yeah. And he just did it, no fucks given. Yep. Because he's Andre Benjamin. And that's what he does. And that's what he's always done. True. Uh, uh, he cuts off a little piece of flesh and then is able to somehow connect incredibly broadly with it. Yeah, it's a beautiful record. And, you know, like uh, I know there's more to come and, you know, can only look forward. But that's the vibe right now. It's really great. Um, another vibe right now is Ornery. This is a uh, Merle Haggard profile from The New Yorker from 1990. And the New Yorker archives are just serious. The way I came to this is um, I was reading that, um, that what's his name, William Finnegan, the surfing book, Barbarian, yeah, Barbarian, Barbarian Days. Barbarian Days, that's a great book. Such a good book. I was in Hawaii reading Barbarian Days, you know, it, it, self-explanatory. And in it, he, there's this guy that's his surfing partner on this trip, surfing around the world that he goes on. He kind of like skips college and, and just explores. And he's with this dude, Brian. And they're both writers, so they're surfing and writing and fighting and making fun of each other's writing and supporting each other's writing and making fun of each other's surfing and supporting each other's surfing. And he's just talking about this dude, Brian, 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 and his writing. And I'm like, I wonder what this dude went on to write because – Finnegan went on to be a great writer for The New Yorker. Um, And it turns out this this dude, Brian, with a Y, also wrote for The New Yorker. And uh, Finnegan just mentions Ornery, Brian's Merle Haggard profile. So I went back and found it. And it's kind of like late Merle uh, and The Strangers. uh, And, yeah, The New Yorker archive, man. God knows what all is in there. You could spend a lifetime in there. I love The New Yorker so much. the last print issue at the cover with was it Roy Cohen? It was uh, Donald Trump's lawyer. Yeah, and Michael Cohen. My- yeah, is it Michael Cohen or Roy? Yeah. Which Michael? Michael. Michael. Yeah, it's just like a mind blowing article. Yeah, it's really like yeah. like I sit there and I read it and I just go, oh man, like all the confusion and all the arguments people have on Twitter about like who Donald Trump is or isn't. Yeah, and it's like just read that. Yeah, cut through it yeah. all. Yeah. That less, just gets, less noise. Yeah. Yeah. You got to slow, you slow down for the New Yorker, which is what I love about it. Like when you open up one of those articles, you're just like, I'm going to spend an hour here yeah. with some focus. Yeah. Definitely. Not in my feeds. It's funny you said Merle Haggard because my next vibe is Towns Van Zant, um, who I love. And I don't know if he has any relationship to Merle Haggard other than just uh, same genre ish, generation ish in my mind. But specifically, uh, there's a new skate, new ish skate brand called Hockey, which is a sister brand to Fucking Awesome, which is Jason Dill's brand. Yep. So Jason Dill has Fucking Awesome. He's partners with Anthony Van Engeland, who does a brand called Hockey. And this morning they put out a new part with Andrew Allen, which is just a two minute clip of him destroying LA in just like wearing amazing clothes. And they're skating to Town Van Zandt. And he's skating to a town song. <laughs> and it's just like. We're done here. It's so good. And there's like weird slow motion edits and it's just two minutes and 20 seconds. I don't know the song. Somebody like let me know what town song this is. It's an obscure song that I'm, I don't even know, but um, maybe it's not obscure. I just don't know it. Anyway, new hockey clip. Andrew Allen skating to Towns Van Zandt. It's this vibe all week long. So for those for those of us who don't know how to find that clip, how do we find that clip? Oh, Go- um, Google Hockey Andrew. Yeah, Allen. yeah, it's on the fucking awesome site. 
Yeah, it's out there. Go to Thrasher. It's probably on Thrasher.com. A-side. Uh, the new Arctic Monkeys album. Uh, Tranquility, Bass, Hotel, and Casino. Um, it's such a vibe. Um, I mean, it's very simple. I Where did it, it strike you? You know what's really interesting? I mean, I, I, that, arguably, they are one of the only four or five guitar-based bands operating on the planet at this moment on a scale, on a huge scale, that actually matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're talking about on a scale of, like, rock bands, the Rolling Stones and U2 and Led Zeppelin and all of these people, yeah. you know, so arguably you say, and, you know, five maybe is a stretch at this point because yeah. there's them, there's Tame Impala, who yeah. really yeah, exists as one person who's sort of a band. Yeah. yeah. One person in a studio in a band live. Um, MGMT, I still think of, like immense and awesome and their album was also great this year is like overlooked because i think they just deliberately or you know accidentally sort of just taking themselves out of conversation yeah definitely by deliberate. making them such an obscure second album that sort of just pushed people away yeah. yeah but the thing with this arctic monkeys album is that i think alex turner's like just one of the greatest songwriters yeah at the moment existing working in music generally speaking he has a way with words and a turn of phrase and a way of delivering it it's just so interesting and poignant and sarcastic and funny and witty and uh this album is also from what i can decipher and we're sort of combing our way through it you know me and the various friends that are sort of into it it's sort of about sort of a futuristic take on modern living. So it's sort of about someone in a casino or hotel in the future, which is called Tranquility, Tranquility Base Hotel mm-hmm. and Casino, talking about life and looking back on it. And so, you know, there, there are moments where he talks about, did I tell you about the time I got sucked uh, through a black hole via handheld device. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been there. Been there yeah. Wow. I'm going to need 10 minutes yeah. with that one. Yeah. yeah. And the music is incredible. It's, you know, the riffs are crazy. It's really odd. It sounds like they've been listening to a lot of John Barry, um, a lot of David Bowie, and a lot of kind of weird Turkish funk, which is kind of like necessarily sitting in the scale of like what we know as like kind of like the westernized musical scale. So things go off scale it's a it's i mean a lot of people don't like it a yeah. lot of the arctic monkey fans are just like uh what's going on why have they made this weird record don't catch up but yeah you know i'm a fan of bowie and i'm a fan of you know artists who always kind of in a way just try something new from the yeah. last thing they yeah. did yeah. and you know in my opinion do it successfully so the album's sick check it out it takes a few listens but honestly uh tremaine brock and i are geeking off this album in a major way right now guys that's episode 31 of Corporate Lunch. A-side, man, always a pleasure to chop it up with you. Thank you for coming. Bad Wild Boys. We'll see you here. We'll see you in L.A. We'll see you in Paris. Yeah, next time, let's get some food in, man. Corporate, <laughs> yeah. corporate diet is not my form of diet. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you. Um, subscribe. You, you know the deal. We'll see you next week. <laughs>